0: All right, welcome back to Unscripted, the Field of 68's Michigan State Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Waddell. My co-host, Carter Elliott, is here. And our returning guest, I think you are the only reoccurring guest of this season. So I hope you feel special with that honor. It's David Klein from Spartan Hoops. DK, what's going on, man?
1: Not much, fellas. I appreciate you having me on. I do feel special, actually, so thank you. (laughs) As well as as well,
2: you should DK. And I know in the last episode I said the victory shades were dead. I know I said I broke them. I lied to the people out there because after this past Saturday, you can call it a shtick, you can call it whatever you want, but the victory shades have returned because the Spartan Dogs were victorious this past weekend. The Spartan Dogs made changes. We had adjustments by the coaching staff. You heard that correctly. We had hashtag adjustments. And we won a basketball game and we chirped while doing it. It was a beautiful sight. I'm glad that we are able to have both these gentlemen here on a happier note because I don't like our therapy sessions. They're not fun for me. I like getting my feelings out there, but I never feel good talking about the, you know, the downfall of Michigan State, but it was greatly exaggerated. I don't want to say we're back, but (laughs) we might be back. All
0: right. I'm just saying. That is the most prideful victory lap I've ever seen after beating a bubble team at home. <laughs> I go one and three in the last three games. Kudos cart. Congratulations. I'm glad, I'm not glad you lied. I never condone lying to the people. Uh, I did text you my address after Michigan beat Purdue. Requesting that you send me the victory shades. And uh you did tell me they were broken. So you lied to me and the people. It is what it is.
2: Well, it would have went to waste with you because uh Ohio State did away with you boys.
0: I would have sent them back, I wouldn't have told you they were broken. <laughs> uh look, it's good to see you happy. There's four things I came in with objectives to this episode because this is a workday morning. We're recording this. Like, I know you guys are working men. I can't keep you here too long. Four objectives. I want to talk about what Michigan State got right and the adjustments they made in the Indiana game. Uh, I want to talk about there, there was an article that came out with uh, big 10 coaches, like anonymous breakdowns of teams and what they said about Michigan state was really interesting. So I want to pick your guys brains about that. Uh, I want to preview the games for this week. We were recording this on a Tuesday. So there's the Penn state game on Tuesday, and then there's a big one at home against Illinois on Saturday. Um, and then I, I want to do a quick big 10 round the horn teams. How far do you trust them to go in March? So we'll save that for the end. But first, 76-61 was the score against Indiana. Uh, kind of a back-and-forth game, if you can call it that. I feel like Michigan State built an eight-point lead like four separate times in the game. And then the first three times, Indiana just crawled right back into it. And then finally, down the stretch, Michigan State proved too much for the Hoosiers, who I don't think are very good. I think like they they very clearly should be an NCAA tournament team, but they're just like slipping and slipping into a bubble team at this point. Uh, it was a big spot for Michigan State. I forget what they were favored. Was it like MSU minus three or four? I think it was, like, I think it was four. I think it was four. Um, I stayed away from it just because I felt like you couldn't really tell what Michigan State team was going to show up. But it was a must-win spot at home. Probably looking back on it, should have put some money on the Spartans. Tom Izzo at home in a bounce-back spot, good thing to bet on, uh, especially when you get the news that A.J. Holgaard has been moved into the starting lineup. That was the big thing that happened over the weekend. So DK, let's start there. Was that the correct move at this point in time?
1: hundred percent. So I, you know, in the article leading up to this game said that there needed to be an adjustment. I listened to your guys's podcast with Brandon Wood and you guys were echoing similar sentiments. I didn't actually listen to it because I was so sad about the state of the program until actually after we had beat that Indiana team. And then I was curious to see what you guys thoughts were. And we had very similar thoughts on it, that there just had to be some type of adjustment to the starting lineup because of the way that Michigan State was getting off the blocks. And it happened three games in a row, four games in a row. And it was like, okay, are you going to make an adjustment to either how the rotational minutes are being allocated or to the starting rotation? And then what do we get? We get basically the best case version of both guys in that Indiana game. Um, You saw what Hogarth's capable of doing in terms of setting the table. He got downhill the entire night. He was chippy. He was vocal. We kind of have talked over the course of this season about who the alphas are on this team or lack thereof, which has been for most of the season. I think you can directly point in my opinion to three guys that you can very clearly say are dog mentalities. Those typical Spartan guys that you can kind of lean on for that mental toughness, for that physicality. And to me, that's A.J. Hogard, Malik Hall, and I think Jay Nakins gives it to you too. Guys that you know the moment they're in the game, are going to give you some type of impact immediately hitting the floor. So for me, I thought that was hundred percent, the right decision. I felt way better heading into that game, seeing the staff willing to make an adjustment, because I think the one thing that we've talked about pretty consistently is this staff has been pretty slow to make adjustments the last couple of years last season. It almost cost them a tournament bid because of how slow they were to start playing their best players. At least now we hit a lull, We looked for the staff to make the adjustment, and they were able to do so. A.J. Hogard ends up with 14-4-8. He gets kicked out of the game for clapping, which was absurd. I mean, he was just sitting there clapping. Uh, Yeah, I don't think he even said anything, and they give him the double T. It was chirpy all game. I thought the refs did a bad job of controlling that. But I loved to see it. I just loved that it was like from the moment it felt like the energy was right. And then Tyson Walker comes off and takes six threes. Like, thank you, and he hit half of them. Like he just looked like the guy that we saw from Northeastern, taking him off the dribble when he got a switch onto a big, um, picking up and spot up spots. And then he goes on like a little personal 7-0 run during the stretch when Michigan State needs him. So they got the best version of the two guys. I'm with you. I think Indiana's extremely mid. My guess is they're right on the bubble. I mean, I think you, if you look at Iowa, Indiana, Rutgers, Michigan, those are the four teams that are going to kind of make a push at whether they're on or off the bubble this week. So I think it's a big week for the conference. We can obviously get to that later in the show, but I'm with you. I think Indiana's mid, but the fact that they bounce back, they blow them out by 16 or whatever they ended up winning by, it was just nice for Michigan State to kind of put a complete game together, even though again, the wings struggled. So
0: Yeah, I I look at the minutes. That's what I've done after every game. I I box score watch a little bit, and I I care more about minutes than I care about anything else with this Michigan State team. And I found it interesting. I mean, Hogard getting kicked out affected this, and I'm curious what his numbers would have been had he not had any of those issues throughout the game. But he only played 21 minutes, despite being moved into the quote-unquote starter spot. Like, he was as productive as he was in 21 minutes, which he played quite a bit. Off the bench in games this season, Tyson Walker, still 18 minutes. Like that's essentially the same split as far as time goes. We've seen all season long, but to see what it did mentally for both of them was impressive. I am curious to see how that plays out because I think like AJ kind of showed why this should be his job to me. And I, that's not to say Tyson didn't play great. Like if Tyson can just come in and be a gunner from three. And shoot close to the uh, even 40%. He's shooting over 50% of the season. But um, to me, like that, that's what Tyson can do. And it's still an important role. But like AJ's best takes this team to a new level. And he's been at his best in some of the bigger spots of the season. Uh, the other number that matters to me, man, we just said Hogarth 21 minutes, Tyson Walker 18 minutes, Jay Nakin's 21 minutes. Mm-hmm. After a couple games where Jay Nakin's really only played one stint in the entire game. Um, it was good to see he didn't do a ton in the box score. I thought he did a ton. If you actually watched the game though, uh, cart, where are you at with Jaden Akins? Like, do you think he's going to continue emerging at the expense of a guy like Tyson Walker? Or do you think it comes next to the two of them still getting their 20 minutes a game each? Yeah, that's the thing with, uh, Akins. I feel like I,
2: you know, before last game, I was saying that it might have to come at the expense of Tyson Walker because Tyson Walker was struggling. But if Tyson's playing the way he's playing, uh, I think it might have to come at the expense of one of the wing players. Um, Max has been struggling as of late with his shot. Gabe has been struggling as wait, well. Wait, wait,
0: wait, 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 wait. You just called him Max.
2: Yeah, I called him Max. That's, just, that's,
0: that's what he likes to be called. Is that really where you're at right now with Christie? You have you have not called him Max by his his game his name he prefers all season long. Once on this show, we well, twenty cause, episodes in. Because
2: he's slumping, he's shooting like Max right now. He's not shooting like he's Cormac. That's, oh, what okay. I'm, that's but like he he's struggling right now. Gabe has been struggling with his shot and to get in the flow of the offense and. You know, a guy like Aiken, you put on the floor, he's going to make an impact defensively at the least and at least give you energy and a spark plug off the bench. And I think that his play has earned him more minutes. Look, I people harp on this Michigan State team trying to establish depth and find depth. Now, with that, I don't want depth to be established by cutting off talent, but because you have depth and because you like to play guys so much, play the guys who are playing their best. Like if I'm pointing the guys who are playing at their highest level right now, I'm pointing to guys like Malik Hall, uh, based off last game, A.J. Hogard. And, you know, Marcus Bingham, I think, has been playing at a high level this year. So basically rolling with your dogs and rolling with your talent and rolling who's playing the best. And hopefully – or not hopefully. I know guys like Gabe and Max are going to get it together as far as shot-wise going throughout the year. Shooters go through slumps. It happens. Gabe's is a little more concerning for me because he just looks out of it sometimes on the floor, which is like concerning to me. But at the end of the day, I think he's a good shooter. He'll get it together. Uh, But I think that Jaden's earned himself some minutes. And I think he has the ability to both get to the rim and make some plays on the offensive end as well that we haven't seen yet. Now we thought that maybe in the future, looking as him as a Spartan dog in year two and year three, we kind of get more of that offensive game from him. But I think he has the ability to do some things right now and show us some things. So it was good to see him get extended minutes and overall take out everything with us beating Indiana. I echo what DK said. I think Indiana is a mid team. That's a game we should win and we did win. So kudos to us for doing that, but take the result out, take everything out. The fact that there was adjustments made, in a period where we weren't playing good basketball and we were just all discombobulated. It was good to see. We talked about it on the last episode of Unscripted. Like if shit's not working, start trying to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. All right. So we had some adjustments. It worked. It was good to see. So, you know, I'm I'm happy and I feel like everyone else watching Spartan fans should be happy as a whole.
0: So I, I have two big follow-up questions to that. You mentioned Brown and Christie struggling as they have for the last, I guess you could say a couple weeks at this point, uh, maybe mm-hmm. one or two good games individually mixed in there, but as a whole, like what you're getting from the guys who I think in the non-conference were the most reliable players on this team have suddenly shifted to maybe the least reliable players on this team as far as positional spots go. Um, how, how concerned are you with that? Let's just go around the horn, like one to five concern level. How concerned are you with the collective production from Gabe Brown and Max Christie right now. DK, let's go to you first.
1: Um, I would say a four. I'm reasonably alarmed about what's going on with Gabe Brown currently for his first 17 games. He had one game that was a non double digit performance and it was nine points over his last seven. He's had five. Uh, he's averaging 7.7 points per game, 3.3 rebounds. and shooting 33% from deep. If you take out the six for seven performance at Rutgers, He's four for 23 over those six game periods, which is 18% from deep. He is not getting his shot up when he is. He looks to me like he's forcing it. Um, We saw last game where he didn't look comfortable with that pull up. He just drove into the middle of a guy and, and got that charge call on him. To me, he hasn't looked overly active on the glass. I think the second half was a little bit better than the first in this Indiana game, but he ended up having a donut against them. and He's in the deep struggles I think that it really goes to the fact that Akins needs more minutes until Brown gets correct. And I don't know if that's maybe like Brown coming off the bench and, and getting like just a reset on kind of where this is going for him. Um, I listened to the moving screen yesterday and there was some talk just about how if Gabe Brown's not getting open shots, it means that the defense is essentially having one less help defender in the lane, which I think is true. I mean, there's something to be said about getting blanketed as a defender because of the way that he shot to begin the season. But he's not providing the most upside in the rotation right now at the position. I don't think you can say that. And yes, Akins is not quite the shooter that he is, or maybe ever will be. But what he can give you, and what he showed a little bit last uh, game, was the ability to create looks for both himself and for others. I think the one thing that we've seen during the course of the season is he's gotten a little too comfortable pulling up in that mid-range jump shot. I don't love that shot from unless he gets to the rim a couple times. We finally saw him get all the way to the rim often. I would almost say it was like off his hesitation. It was like his change of speed. Like in some instances, he just hasn't looked a hundred percent comfortable being able to figure out how to get himself all the way to the rim, and and his his ability to go from zero to the third gear and just get to the room. We saw it like kind of on that elbow. I don't know if you remember it, but he took a dribble. He had like a freeze dribble and a hesitation. He took one more dribbling that was all the way at the rim for a lay. I think he needs to just continue to be aggressive going towards it. Every time he's on the floor, he's excellent defensively. I think there's a case to make that maybe Christie and Akins are the two best perimeter defenders on this team. And I think that he has shown the ability to have kind of that big, big spot mentality and not be scared of the moment. So for me, until Gabe gets correct, I think you got to keep stealing minutes from him for Akins. The Christie stuff we've kind of going around in circles about, I- I'm not overly worried. He's still contributing in so many different ways to this team, whether it's playmaking, rebounding on the defensive end, I think to a certain degree, he's just kind of hitting that freshman wall. He's played the most minutes of anybody on this team. He continues to play above 30 minutes on a nightly basis. So the staff clearly sees the value there. Would you like a little bit more of that production to come on the offensive side? 100%. But I think ultimately, um, You know, the concern level is reasonably high for me for Brown, not as much for Christie. I just think he kind of is what he is at this point in the season. I think he needs another full offseason to be able to get into the lane and finish through contact. I think that's the biggest thing that's kind of preventing him from being more of an offensive star. So I don't know if we see that this year. Um, I I think at this point, though, you know, it's a situation that should be a little bit alarming because if you get the kind of point guard play that we did, yesterday on uh, the game against Indiana, I think you can go places. And if the wings just came to play when the point guards played that well, like this team could be really good. We have still yet to see this team collectively put like a, a whole game together at every position at the center spot, at the wings, at the forwards. Like, when are we going to just get a game where they just blow somebody out? Cause everybody plays well, it feels like maybe the Butler game was the last time we saw both the wings go in the right direction. And I know what we all think about Butler.
0: So I, I think, that's a really good point. But I think my answer to that is like, I think we'll see that when the, the rotation isn't nine guys, because I think it's really hard. Like even for if five of nine play well, which I think happened against Indiana, it still doesn't feel like five of nine played well because so many guys are in and out. You know what I mean? Like it's easier to point to like a Michigan game against Purdue where it's like, okay, they only, they literally only played five guys. All five played well. They won the game. Like, Michigan State, even it's always going to feel like someone plays poorly just because there's so many moving parts. But I loved I loved your point about additional ball handlers. I want to come back to that when we get to my anonymous coach quote because that's right on brand with what another Big Ten coach said about uh, one of the problems with this Michigan State team. Cart, concern level though quickly with, uh, with Christy and Brown, one to five. Yeah, it's,
2: it's, it's definitely probably up in that four range for me as well. Uh, more specifically with Brown, it's not just a shooting slump. It's just he doesn't look comfortable out there. I think – that getting to this point of the season, coaches in the Big Ten and probably everybody who are going to play moving forward knows that if you can be there on the catch and up on Gabe Brown, that he has not shown the ability in these past couple games to put the ball on the floor. And that's why I feel like in these past couple games, you see when he tries to get to that one, the two dribble pull up at the elbow or in the mid-range, whenever he shoots it, he's off balance. His shot seems very short, almost herky-jerky in some games. Like it seems kind of broken a little bit. Uh, So that might just be a confidence thing. I'm not really sure what I can point to DK's suggestion about him moving to the bench is, I mean, it's, it's something to maybe look to. I don't know necessarily if I would go that far technically as a movement to the bench, but uh, I just think right now you have a guy who's just not confident in his ability and not confident in his game and it's showing through his jumper. And it's a little bit concerning at this point to me Uh, with Christie. I just think that he is also not helping himself or doing himself any favors by getting really good shots. It seems to me that sometimes he doesn't want to shoot directly off the catch or he doesn't want to shoot the open one. Sometimes he wants to take one to two dribbles to get into his jump shot. And sometimes that causes him to take tough twos, especially like DK mentioned. He's not a guy who right now can go to the basket and finish. So as a defender, you know, he's going to take one to two dribbles and he's going to pull up. He's not going to blow past you. That makes it a little bit easier to defend him on that end. Uh, I still think he's given us a lot on the defensive end at this point. And that's why he's playing the most of the minutes. But when, like I said earlier, you have guys that are struggling on the wing. And I think that's an opportunity to get Jaden Akins in the game and get him minutes. Uh, and hopefully Gabe figures it out because he is a huge part of our team as we saw in the non-conference and earlier in the year, uh, you know, Gabe was our most consistent player on a night to night basis. Uh, even on both ends of the floor. So hopefully he figures it out. I think he will, but I am somewhat concerned of what we saw these past couple of games.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Christy, two for 12 in his last four games from three. Three of those games, he did not make a three-pointer, single-digit scoring in all four of those games. He's just not the same guy that he was in the non-conference right now. Um, And and, sorry, last thing with Christy, by by the way, him not
2: being able to get to the rim, get to the free throw line or do anything like you don't even get to see one go in with him. You know what I'm saying? Like he doesn't it's either three or tough twos in the mid range. He doesn't have anything at the rim right now. When he goes to the rim, he gets bumped off every time if any guy has any semblance of weight or anything strength to him. And that's throwing off his whole offensive game. So like DK said, if he can get that rim game. And I think he will develop it moving forward His Michigan state career. It'll open up a whole new bag for him and seeing one go in at the hoop does wonders for anybody or the free throw line. So you just can't get an easy one
1: right now. Right. That's not no easy ones. Nope. And he's, I mean, he's been lights out. He was six for six from the free throw line last game. Right. So it's, if he can get himself there, I have no doubt he can make it. It's just he has not been able to get any type of easy shot going right now, which
0: us. is, which is sort of an interesting thing to point out though, because well, again, we're going to talk more about this, but like he's playing next to the guy who leads the country in assist rate. So like the, I, I think the concept of like these wings are struggling to get easy looks is a difficult thing for me to square with the point guards they're playing with. I, I, I think it's honestly, I talked about this with
2: you, Greg. I think it's somewhat on the wings that they're not getting easy shot. I think that, Christie makes shots harder for himself and you know he's a guy who unlike Gabe Brown I think is very good at reading screens like coming off baseline screens Uh, I think he's very good at fading or curling off of it Mm -hmm. but like I said because he can't get to the rim as a defender you're chasing him I'm looking like okay he's gonna do one or two dribbles he's gonna pull up at this elbow I just got to go cut him off there. He's not going to be able to blow past me. It makes it a lot easier to defend. And then Gabe has just never been a guy you're going to set a screen for. He's going to come off. it. He doesn't have the ability right now. Might. I don't know if he's ever going to get as a senior, but to come off, get his feet set and come off and raise up and shoot a jumper. Like that's just not what he is. He's more of a, he's a set shooter. That's those are his limitations. So, I don't necessarily put it on the point guards uh, as the struggle for the wings. I think the wings need to do a better job of putting themselves in a better position to score the basketball. And when you do have open looks, take advantage of them and shoot them instead of dribbling yourself into off balance twos or tough twos.
0: Carl, what did I say about Gabe Brown's hands and feet? Do you remember the group chat this week? I, I Something like, Oh, I said uh, um, he he has the, the bounce and the three-point shot of Zach Levine, but he has the hands and feet of feet a female of Zach flute Edie. player. <laughs> oh, yeah, what? A female flute player. Like, he just – and that's no offense to female flute players, but, like, he just – anything that's, like, skill-based, technical – movements like he doesn't have that but he has the bounce in the shot of like an nba all-star um he's just he's always
2: off balance to me like he he just never looks like he's on balance that's the only thing but we can move on
0: i'm excited i think john beeline used to call it bambi on ice is what he would call with freshmen like he just like you, they don't look right, even if they're in the right spot, and they're not comfortable. That's sort of how Gay Brown looks, and it doesn't help that he's like six nine with a hunched over back. That uh, kind of, <laughs> kind of helps, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know, I, uh, I, I'm excited to see where year two Christie goes. I know we all think that Max Christie's coming back. We also think he has a very bright NBA future at some point, um, but like, I, I gotta think year two Christie developed some counters to that, where like. Maybe in a way we were pointing at Gabe Brown where he hasn't developed some of that. I think Max Christie very clearly will develop that and be a lead scorer for this team next year. Um, One last thing on this game, and then we'll move to the other segments. Uh, Malik Hall. Like everybody obviously is is playing the Malik Hall should be starting card, me included. Uh, Everybody also is kind of doing the, like, let's give the staff credit. They made an adjustment with Hogarth over Walker. Well, like, yeah, they also need to make another adjustment and get the best player in the starting lineup. Like Malik Hall at this point is Michigan State's best player, and it's not close. Um, I, I think at some point he finds his way to the lineup. I just think he's too good not to. It's crazy. Um, I guess in light of the, the conversation on the wings, do you think Malik Hall moving into the lineup has to happen one for one with Joey Hauser? Like, can Malik Hall step in and play the three? on this team, on a team where like Brown and Christie have played 30 minutes a game, haven't played well. And the only secondary option is Jay Nakins at the two you still need someone at the three. Is it Pierre Brooks? Is it Malik Hall? Is it nobody? I think it could be Malik Hall.
1: DK. Am I crazy for that? I don't think you're crazy, but I think that he's probably at his best closer to the basket. And that's why he looks a little bit more comfortable. Like I think he could defend the perimeter. So my only question when you ask like position wise, can he do that? Um, yeah, so he can defend the three, like he can defend the wing. So for me, he could get inserted to that. It would just would change some of his role and what he's doing. Like he's getting pick and pop stuff. They're posting him up in kind of that mid range. Uh, Speaking to just like not getting open shots for some of the perimeter looks, I think a lot of that has to do with the inability of the team to really have a go to low post score that creates doubles from that position on the court. And I think Malik Hall has started garnering some of that type of attention. The last few games I've kind of watched when he gets doubled what's happened and he has freed some open perimeter shots because of the double. I think that he's pretty comfortable passing out of it. So to me, just uh, I'm with you that he probably needs to be in the starting lineup when he is on the floor. He needs to be basically the whole offense needs to be run through him. I think if you're looking at like the best case scenario of this team when he's on the floor the ball should be in his hands preferably close as possible to the basket somewhere in that mid-range area and I think a lot of the offense can kind of thrive from that perspective so I, I don't know quite what to make of it 24 minutes this game he did have a little bit of foul trouble I would like to see him play closer to 30 I guess whether he starts or he comes off the bench to me matters less so much as just make sure that he's playing as many minutes as possible. Cause that's the best version of this team. So I guess that's kind of a roundabout way to go to it. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I'll just say this. Like he's
0: to me, we talked about like, Oh, can the staff trust these guys? And I think that's a larger part of the conversation about how they're handling point guards. Like, does he trust AJ Hogarth? Like Hogarth can have a great game and Izzo goes to the presser and it's just like, well, see if he can do it twice in a row. Like he gets high on himself. Like he's literally done that three times this season. And Tyson Walker, obviously new to the program, like that's a guy who has to earn trust. Like Malik Hall's a captain on this team. Like the, the staff has some sense of trust in this dude. And Malik Hall also, like, as, as much credit as we're giving him, he hasn't always been this good. Like I I don't think he was this good in November. I think he was good for a game and then he would have a game where he did nothing. And right now, like the consistency has become like an expectation with him, which is why like, let's not get cute. Like he needs 30 minutes. The best way to get him 30 minutes is start him and play him 30 minutes. Like he's a captain on the team. Let's just play him. Like he's a captain on the team cart. Uh, how, how strongly do you feel this needs to happen?
2: I I feel extremely strongly that it needs to happen. And I also want to point out, like, this is no slight to Joey Hauser either. I just want to say that Joey Hauser isn't playing well. I think that this is just an indication of what we've seen from Malik Hall. He has been clearly Michigan State's best player in this stretch run. I think that uh, you can call me being greedy, call it what you want. Like, I want the 30 minutes and the start, especially because – I'm sick of watching us come out and start slow like we are probably the best team in the country at starting slow. Now it changed a little bit with the insertion of AJ Hogarth to the lineup, but I think we can do the same with Malik Hall. I like the things we've seen from Joey Hauser with his effort. I think he's been shooting, I mean almost close, close to 40%, maybe high, almost high, maybe mid 40s from 3 in conference play. I think having Joey Hauser playing the way he's playing right now off the bench and inserting Malik Hall and giving him those high minutes like he does to others, you know, to the Gaves and the, you know, Max Christie's on this team. I think that it'll be good for this team. And, you know, you talk, Greg, you talk about earning trust and things like that. Like you said earlier in the year, one of the big things with Malik Hall was it was feast or famine. Like we were getting some big Malik Hall games. And then we were getting bleak Hall games where he was just not really making an impact right now on a consistent basis in no matter how many minutes he's getting, whether he's getting 20 minutes or he's getting, you know, 25 minutes, whatever he's getting, he's producing. So in my eyes, you up the minutes, you up the production. So, and until he proves that that's not the case, then we adjust. But at this point, you got to give that man 30 minutes a game. I think he's doing too many things. He puts pressure on the defense as well and he might be the best baseline college basketball player in the country. You do not want to see Malik Hall on the baseline turnaround jumpers behind the backboard jumpers had trace Jackson Davis in hell race Thompson. He thinks he's that guy, not that guy. Malik (laughs) Hall had him in hell. Like he's a mismatch. you got to play that man.
1: Yeah. When he hit that shot over the backboard, which we haven't talked about, I think that just kind of sums up the way it's going for him right now. Like you hit that kind of shot. Like he, he let it go. And he started running on the court to a certain degree, like ride, ride ride the
0: hot hand.
1: Yeah. I I guess the other flip side of it is too. your best front court is with Bingham and Hall and they very rarely get to play together, which to me is maddening both defensively (laughs) and offensively. I think you can create so much pressure on the rim when the two of them are in the game um so that goes to speaking to just getting him in the lineup too but it feels like it's beating a dead horse at this point I think everybody's been on that maybe we were a little bit earlier than that like come on it's time to start him like a week or two ago and now everybody is so I don't know maybe just just start him seven seven
2: 17 mark marble still still the, the easiest betting trend in college basketball you can bet at 17 minutes Julius Marble will be at the table ready to go
0: yeah, I wonder if our, our friends at Bet Rivers ever offer that prop. They should at this point, although people would make a lot of money off it. Uh, all right, I want to I wanna go to my anonymous coach quote. So this was from a, a Seth Davis piece this week where he did this with uh, – it was a few quote-unquote anonymous Big Ten coaches and asked them about the top teams in the conference. I'm just going to read the two paragraphs word for word on Michigan State. And then we'll nitpick at uh, the piece that I find most interesting from this. So here are anonymous Big Ten coaches quotes compiled on Michigan State. They have good players, but they don't have anyone who's elite like they have in the past. They're playing point guard by committee with Walker and Hogard. Christie is solid, but he's young. He's the one guy in their lineup who's not really physical. Defensively, he's still figuring things out. Gabe Brown was great early, but now he's going through the lulls a little bit. They don't have as much of a post presence as they've had in the past. They crash four and sometimes all five on the offensive glass. So if you can get a rebound there, you can make them pay for that. They're one of the leaders in our league in turnovers. The reason they have those problems is their wing players are not ball handling wings. It puts a lot of pressure on their guards. The last two sentences are what I'm most interested in because I hadn't viewed it that way at all, really. Uh, As as much as Hogarth and Walker are ridiculous from an assist rate standpoint and also a ridiculous from a turnover rate standpoint is it just because no one else on the roster at any position can be trusted to be a playmaker DK let's go to you on that
1: yeah I I think that that's a pretty spot-on statement about relatively to just the state of the team this year right like you're looking at where the shot creation comes from to a certain degree it can come from Walker, but I, you know, he can't really get all the way to the rim and finish really the only guy on the team that has consistently gone all the way downhill and finished from the perimeter is AJ Hogard. But the problem is he can't put pressure on you from either the mid range or the perimeter. So that kind of limits some of his ability to be able to just suck in the defenses at all times. I think, like we spoke about earlier, maybe Akins is a guy that can continue to do that. You're looking at who is capable of maybe being able to create shots for both themselves and others. To me, he's, he is that guy, right? He, he was a former point guard. You've got him at the two spot. Now. I don't think that the, the staff has really given him enough offensive opportunity. They very rarely put him in ball screens. They very rarely draw up plays to be able to get the ball into his hands, And I think we saw again, you know, kind of reemphasizing the point I made earlier, we saw his ability to be able to get to the rim, maybe try to start putting him more into the offense. I think that they're spot on in terms of there's a ton of pressure on the point guards to be able to create for the rest of the roster because Aaron Henry left out the door. We only had one creator last year and that was him. This year you have one and a half. And if you count Aikens as a half, maybe you have two guys, you know, between Tyson and him. So I think that that's pretty accurate. I guess my counterpoint with that to that would be, uh, there's not a ton of guys really in the league um, that can create outside of like the top, you know, main guys like Ivy Davis, Murray's more of a forward anyways, like how many guys in the league from that, wing position are really creators so i think that that's that's true but i think it can also be applicable to a ton of other big 10 teams this year I, i just think that the wing play after it got gutted by the nba last season in the conference is kind of down as a whole
0: i think you're right with that i think the the only tweak i would have because there are no creating wings unless you i guess ivy counts as that but ivy's just a superstar it doesn't matter how you want to classify it um, I think the the counter would be like some of the better teams you can point to or not even better, but just like upper half of the conference teams uh, like Illinois has a point guard and then they have a guy like Trent Frazier next to him or they have Alfonso Plummer or they have Corbello. like they have three guys that can sort of split it where two of them are on the floor together. Uh, Wisconsin like, yeah, they have Davis. They also have Chucky Hepper and they also have Brad Davison. Michigan, it's not, I'm not saying Michigan's a good team, but like Eli Brooks being a secondary guy for them matters. That to me is like where if Michigan State just had, and maybe it's Akins, maybe Akins is the answer. He just needs to play more, but it's like Hogarth and Walker don't play together much. And I don't know that you want to play them together much. So whoever is on the floor, it really leaves them in a spot of like, it's your shell go, go get shots for Gabe Brown, go get shots for Max Christie. And as much as like, maybe that's helped lead to the turnover issues. I also think from a weird standpoint, like it it may inflate their assist rates a little bit too. Like if there was a secondary guy, does AJ Hogard lead the country in assist rate? He's probably still very high, but I don't know that any of us would point and say like, he's the best assist guy in the
2: country. But the thing is though, you say that about his assist rate, but also A.J. Hogar's assist rate right now is probably in 20 minutes a game. Like,
0: Yeah, but rate doesn't matter with how many minutes. That like, is
2: true. No, okay, yeah, good point there. But, I mean, he's what? He's probably averaging about five assists a game right now. Five a game, example. yeah. Like, and, and look, I, I, I
1: don't – His last stretch, he's been really good in that. He had two goose eggs, like, in the point column, but he's averaging 6.1 assists per game to 1.7 turnovers over his last six – Uh, Games, which is obviously really, really
0: incredible. Yeah. He's
1: getting to the free throw line a ton too. And we didn't really touch on that. He's over his last six games. He's shooting almost 80% from the free throw line, getting there almost three and a half times a game. I think that's a huge swing factor to why he's continuing to progress as a player.
2: That's also huge that he can progress as a jump shooter in the future. Cause if he gets somewhat of a semblance
1: of a, just a threat, from 15 feet, like it would open up so many things. I think he yeah. just needs to develop that floater too. If he if he could just develop a little one footed floater, five, I'll say
2: I'll tell you right now, DK AJ ain't getting no floater. He's not a floater
0: player.
1: <laughs> I trust uh, <laughs> developing a floater maybe more than I do a mid range jump shot. I'm gonna toss that out there. Yeah, he ain't a floater. He's That's trying to get to the club.
0: I uh I want to just put this on record. I'm I want to officially declare myself as an AJ Hogard guy if I haven't already. I've declared myself a Hogard guy in relation to Tyson Walker, but I, I want to put myself just objectively. I'm I'm in Hogard's camp. I think by the time that guy's a senior, he's an all conference player. I think he is a killer. Like just mentally, he's chirping dudes. Like I, as a as a Michigan fan, as a part time Michigan basketball fan. I'm pretty terrified of A.J. Hogarth. That dude shows up for big games. Uh, so I don't mean when I, I raise the concerns about like, oh, his assist rate would come down if they had somebody else. I don't mean that to minimize how good he is, because I think he's fantastic. I actually just mean it to say like maybe next year projecting to that roster. Akins projects to a lot of minutes at the two, and I think that helps him. I think you see a more reined in A.J. Hogard when he has somebody else to play off of.
1: I think if you're looking for the next evolution of the roster, what is Cart doing? He's recording this. I, I,
2: I, needed, I needed that A.J. Hogarth monologue in my memories, and I'm keeping that because <laughs> I'm going to go back to the start of the year for the A.J. Hogarth takes, and we're going to combine those. So I just needed that for my memories. Don't mind me.
1: Oh, my God. That's so funny. <laughs> I, I I think we can all agree that this version that we've seen in spots this season of A.J. Hogarth and maybe the ceiling of what we all thought he could be is much higher. I always thought that he had a pretty comfortable floor. I compared him to maybe like Tiger Campbell last season, where I think he's a guy that if he controls the ball and he doesn't turn it over, he can be in a high assist guy, kind of be a team leader in spots. I know Campbell had a really nice run in the tournament, um, but for the most part, he's not like a, a score first type guy. And I think that, you know, we have to maybe recalibrate some of the expectations because the upper-class version that we can potentially get of A.J. Hogard is going to be a much better point guard than I think any three of us foresaw. And that's been a nice little surprise for the season for sure.
0: Yeah, and Cart, Cart loves it, but he's a gamer. Like, he's chirping.
1: No, he's he, –
2: I you thought I was joking. A.J. Hogard in my book is a certified top five Michigan State point guard of all time because in the first start of the season, he got a – one, a dog ass stat line, and two, he got ejected for chirping. Like, um, that's I I resonate with that type of information. I like that type of game. I like seeing like DK said, it was good to see like a dog, like some fight. Like when we talked with Brandon Wood, we talked about all these players in the past, and like he talked about himself like being a Spartan dog and like being an alpha. And even though maybe Hogar doesn't have like the alpha skill set as far as like the jumper and everything, at least in his mind, A.J. Hogarth knows he's a dog and thinks he's a dog. Like he he has that mentality and has the ability to be that, you know, dog. And I think Malik Hall has that same ability. And also to comment on your quote, Greg, first of all, that was Brad Underwood who said that the anonymous coach, I can tell by the way, you know, he loves talking to the press. He loves all types of anonymous quotes and throwing stuff out there. I know a hundred percent fact that that was Underwood, but he also made some good points because that really is our team in a nutshell. Like that's, that's pretty accurate. Uh, I think that when we look back on this year, one of the things we might question with the staff or kind of look down on, or I do personally with the staff, is that early in the year when Tyson Walker was struggling, we didn't get Jaden Akins any type of point guard minutes. Like I thought that was a great opportunity early in the non-conference or any point in the non-conference or early Big Ten play to get him more involved, get him some more minutes handling the ball um so that he would be more comfortable with it um and maybe take some pressure off of those guys handling the ball and I think you know maybe he has the I think personally he has the ability to do so uh so that is kind of a thing that I think we should have established earlier in the year but you know we kind of are where we are we have one and a half maybe two point guards if Tyson comes on hashtag six man of the year Tyson Walker campaign is
0: starting Stop now that. no we're, we're we've shut that down as soon as you just I, I don't, and whenever you this, all want to join i to got your, the campaign open to your point about akins though like i i keep laughing because Izzo had another quote in his press conference last week i think that was like uh it was about the the transfer portal stuff and he's like tyson's really hurt by the fact that he couldn't sit out this year and i just want to be like what what the hell was your plan if tyson was going to sit was hogar going to play 30 minutes then was Aikens going to play 10 minutes as a backup? Like, that's what you're saying you wish would happen? Because if you wish that would happen, just do it. Like, it, it makes no sense to be like, God, I wish Tyson could be sitting out this year. Like, you're playing the 22 minutes a game. Like, stop doing that. If you don't think that he's ready for it, it makes no sense to me.
1: Um, We're, we're running Ronald over. just it. needs to end. He just needs to stop talking about the point. Because yeah, guess what? If Marcus impressive. Bingham leaves, you need to go get a center next year. And we didn't really touch on that position. But if we're looking at the next version of what this team can be, I'm very optimistic at the point guard spot. If Brown leaves, I think maybe we're got to be careful how I want to say this. But I think maybe the version of the team, because you're going to allow Aikens to play close to 30 minutes, could be maybe better than what it would be if he returned. I'm going to toss that out there. You have Holloman to back him up. Which, again, you're going to get to play two guards. You're going to get to put, you know, three point guards on the floor, maybe in some spots if you wanted to go that route. And I think that if you're just kind of looking up and down the roster, Kohler is going to be able to back up Hall, whether Hauser returns or not. I guess that remains to be seen. The one spot that absolutely needs to be figured out if Mark Spingham leaves, which I think we kind of all feel that that's probably going to happen uh, they got to get a rim protector. They got to get some guy they can play 25 minutes per game next year. Because despite Marble having maybe the best game he's had in a long time, um, I just don't think that there's a starting caliber Big Ten center on the roster if Bingham leaves. And Bingham hasn't even been able to play starter minutes. So, yeah. you know, maybe there's not one on the team this year either. So
0: I will be so curious to see how that plays out because we're literally looking at a landscape right now where the National Player of the Year front runner is a transfer center. Oscar Shibway who ended up at Kentucky and is putting up 20-20 games every given night. Now in order to get a guy that impactful, you have to be someone who's pro transfer portal, maybe publicly but like I don't think Tom Izzo is going to ever insert himself in the Oscar Shibway recruitment and compete with John Calipari or the other 10 best coaches in the country who are living off the transfer portal right now. So that that leaves me very intrigued like he's got to get one. We all agree on that. Where he, he's gotta he's gotta stop saying it publicly too. Like yeah. it maybe a guy wants to consider
2: us. Like you are just throwing you're throwing every inkling, like every chance or anything we got out the window before we even get a shot to throw our hat in the ring because you hate the transfer portal so much. What's so bad about the transfer portal? Like, even if you don't want to go in it, like just let you it go. You had happen. two starters for you this year from the transfer portal. Don't be <laughs> yeah. a hypocrite. like if you if you don't be the hypocrite. that's what i'm saying like come on thomas like
0: oh man um also last last quip you mentioned if joey hauser comes back
1: where's joey hauser gonna go he can go over to europe he can go wherever he wants to isn't he he's a junior isn't he uh, technically he's a senior i mean i guess he could come back here's my my thought on that i have no issue whatsoever about Joey Hauser. I think he's played admirably, you know, basically after the first 10 games and he slugged off that slow start and he's put, per, he's performed very well as a role player. The staff can't wrap their head around the fact that that's what he is. Like the last game he played 16 minutes. Perfect. He's a 15 to 16 minute per, per minute guy that should be coming off the bench and playing a role. If you told me that that was going to be his role next year, I would gladly love for him to come back. But guess what? I don't think it would be. We're still going to be talking about a 50-50 split between Malik Hall, who's going to be our best player next year, a potential all-conference type guy, maybe a first-two-team guy. And so it's not that I want Joey to leave. It's that I think that if he stays, the staff is not going to be able to minimize his minutes, particularly another year with the program. It's just not going to happen. And to me, that's kind of the problem with the staff. It, it, it goes back to the point where if Foster lawyer and Thomas Kithy were on this team, both guys would be getting minutes right now and we would be losing our our minds. So uh, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. So I'm I, telling
0: I, you right I, now I'm clipping this like you you and Carter's reaction while
1: you were saying that <laughs> was I mean, I don't know I don't know how else to say it. I, I I love the staff. I think that it was nice to see them make adjustments, but I think that if he was to return, we would run into an issue where, you know, Malik Hall's not going to play close to 30 minutes next season than he absolutely needs to. So that's my only concern with it. And I think Jackson Kohler can kind of give you what he's going to give you offensively. And he's going to be way more of a bucket down low in the paint, which they need.
2: Yeah. I, th- I, I honestly feel like Joey just, I don't even know what his next step in life is. But I feel like Joey's just ready to move on. Like, yeah, I don't even think he likes East I've Lansing. never
0: seen, I've, no, I've, listen, I, I get I'm the just sentiment. saying, like, get, some, I, people, I, some, no, some people are just no, done with who? Like, we're not, it, he's a, he has a year of eligibility left. He's going to use that. He's not going, he's like, but, go but be the an thing is though, when guys else. have
2: years of eligibility left,
0: it's not just about hoop eligibility. They're trying to get more eligibility. Joe, like, to, it, to it, live. This, Joey Hauser's not foster lawyer, Thomas Kithier though. Like he's shooting above 40% in conference play from three. Like we've said, he's playing well as a role player. You guys are right. Like I, we need to get him out to get Malik Hall his role, but that's on the staff. That's not on Joey Hauser. And looking forward to next year anyway, like, at the very least, we gotta see what happens to Bingham in the center spot because if, if there's no center on this roster, Hauser and Hall as a front court is the best option they've got. And they that's Greg. that's a lineup they've played this Greg. year.
2: Greg, we can't depend on the staff to make the right choices. We got we don't gotta do like the whole like when people smoke cigarettes and they do a little you know nicotine packages. No, we can't do that. We need full cold turkey. Don't even give them the chance. To play Joey Hauser more me, minutes man. than Malik Hall, that's, we that's gotta so just mad. we we gotta just
0: not buy the cigarettes,
2: just that's cut it off man. completely.
0: I uh, I'm still I may be on the island, but I'm still out here saying there's a productive version of Joey. I think we're seeing a productive. We version are seeing it. Product.
1: We are seeing it. We're seeing it right. in like DKs that productive said. version can't play 26 minutes a night. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah, I know, but exactly.
0: that that the fact that that's turned into well, hope he takes his career elsewhere. Like he's a he's a good rotation You're player. Acting like we didn't wish him well. I, there's he has they a year left i hope he uses that year at michigan state and instead everyone still wants him out which is not smart uh, homecoming loading it'd be just the, point. the staff needs to just tell themselves his name's not joey hauser his name's kenny kaminsky and then it makes way more sense like just consider him kenny kaminsky and play him 12 minutes a game you, you know where kenny kaminsky ended his career i do know i shouldn't have in, made yeah, that comparison. in the back all right uh we're, round the horn we're overtime, so we'll Fly through these last ones. Uh, Preview of the two games this week. We got uh, Penn State at home. Michigan State is a two and a half, or on the road, a two and a half point favorite at Penn State. Pretty trappy place to play, to be honest. And then a home game against Illinois where Ken Palm has Michigan State favored by three. Quickly on Penn State, uh, in conference play at home, they have won... Three of their last four, beating Rutgers, Iowa, and Indiana, all at home. They lost to Michigan by one, a game that they were up 10 in the first half. Uh, I'm just going to pose the question as this to both of you, and we'll go quickly through this. Over or under one and a half wins for Michigan State in these two games this week? Carter, let's go to you first. Oh, man, this this is tough. I think it's unfortunately more likely
2: under –
1: I Which one crazy. do you think
2: they lose? I think they lose to Penn State.
1: Oh, that's Unfortunately. disgusting.
2: Unfortunately. Like, it's trappy. Penn State's low-key kind of just, like, scrappy, tough. If they slow the game down, I think the reason we beat Penn State when we played them at the Breslin Center is because we were able to get up and down the court and run. And uh, John Harar, if I pronounce that correctly, uh, struggled, I think, to keep up with our bigs running up and down the floor and getting out transition uh they're a sneaky good team i love shrews as the coach uh i think he's gonna form something there at penn state eventually uh but you know i think we lose one of the two games i'm gonna go under uh on the one and a half because i just don't feel confident we go
0: 2-1-0
2: dk
1: uh, um this is a big week. I think if you lose one of these games, you're on a title conference hunt. This is, you got to win both of them. So I think that what they showed us against Indiana comes into play tonight. I think that they beat PSU. I think that there's a chance that if they get off to a good start, they could beat them handily. I'm not going to make that prediction, but I think that there's – like I, I feel much better because of the adjustments made about coming into this game And Illinois kind of played poorly lately. They got to go to Rutgers on Wednesday, so they get one less travel day. Then they got to travel to us. That's going to be a really physical game against Rutgers. Whether they win or lose that, I think that they're going to be in a dog fight. This this is a pretty good spot for Michigan State to come out two and zero, and that's where I lean for that. I think that they're going to find a way.
0: Love that.
2: I, this is a massive that, that, week. That, that's how I felt coming in to play Northwestern at home and then <laughs> Kevin McHale on us, but anyways.
0: Illinois at Rutgers at Michigan State. They're holding a one-game lead in the loss column on Purdue, Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Ohio State. That's a critical week for them. I could easily see Owen, two in that. I could easily and we, and we and we know Illinois down the stretch. That you know what I'm saying? Ooh. buttholes
2: get tight when things get to going. <laughs> All
0: right, that's that's a good segue. I want to I want to fire through the how many teams is it? I think it's uh, nine. There's nine teams that can reasonably make the NCAA tournament in the Big Ten. I want to fire through them and have each of us say how far those nine teams will go in March. We don't need to spend a ton of time on it, but let's let's rapid fire through this. Uh, the, the teams we're not going to include in this exercise, Northwestern, Penn State, Minnesota, Maryland, Nebraska. I don't see any reasonable path other than winning the conference tournament for those five teams. So let's start at the bottom. This is sorted by, uh, by Ken Palm efficiency rankings in conference, I believe. Uh, we're going to start with Indiana, who is 16 and 16-8 on the season, 7-7 seven and seven in conference play. Will Indiana make the tournament? And if they do, how far will they go? I'm going to go out on a limb and say Indiana misses the tournament.
1: DK agreed. Yep. I'm with you. I don't, I don't see this version. I think they suck to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Misses. And and TJD's oh. career to not make a single tournament is depressing. Should have come to Michigan state, big fella. That's all I'm going to say.
0: Yeah. They have uh, all, all six of their remaining games are top a hundred opponents. Um, uh, some road game at Minnesota, at Ohio State, at Purdue, home to Wisconsin, home to Rutgers. They have some eh, dicey spot games left. Um, ugh, Mike Woodson, that just gives me shivers thinking about them. Good both. team at
1: home, cannot get their shit together on the road, and that's been the case for a while.
0: They were like 14 and three, I think. Like, ugh. Okay, Michigan, 13 and 10, uh, seven and six in conference play right now. My take on Michigan has been that for the last month they're playing like a clear six, seven seed level team. Their non-conference was just so bad. They need to go four and three in their final seven to even have a shot, and they have no cupcakes left. Uh, Cart, where do you see Michigan landing? Uh, I think they make the tournament. Um, I think that they're going
2: to be a first weekend out team, though. I think they can win one game in the tournament, but I think they'll, they'll lose before they get to the Sweet 16.
0: So you'll go round to 32 is where you see the Wolverine season ending. Yeah. It'll probably take an upset, honestly, to get there. I'm surprised you even give them that much credit. DK, where are you on the Wolverines?
1: Yeah, I think they're going to sneak in. I would love to see them in the first four in just so all the Michigan fans have to eat crow about how we didn't make the tournament last season. But just like if that happens, it's going to be so perfect. Come into the season, preseason top five, end up at the end in the first four in, and we're going to have to see everybody wiggle on Twitter to try to figure out, oh, are we in the tournament or not? Yeah, motherfucker, you're in the tournament, but (laughs) not the season that you thought you were going to have. So I think that they get in. I think that they get in. um, Yeah, if they, so what do you think? If they go four and three, like what type of seed line do they end up? making like are they a 10 or is it like a 12 and they just sneak in or like, I think if the- they're
0: if they're four and three down the stretch here unless their four wins are against the best teams uh which won't happen I think they're a first four team. I don't think they're as close to in as people think they are. Um they're not they conference have enough was,
1: wins too many losses their non-conference was just so bad.
0: I mean this is a totally different script if they just steal the seat and hall game that they were up 10 with five minutes left in or I uh, don't lose to UCF like they had a hundred different chances to have this not play out as it has, but now they're in a spot where like, really, you got to go five and two to know you're in and they're not going to go five and two because they have a really hard schedule
1: down the stretch here. So I think they beat Iowa this week. They play Thursday, right? Man at Iowa is just a really, I was just play. put up like a hundred points back to back games. They're just blazing right now.
0: I'll say this. They're going to, they're, they'll get one of the two they're at Iowa and at Wisconsin this week. And I, I don't, think there's any way they get both i think they get one of the two and keep hope alive and then they got to take business take care of business at home from there um but yeah if if they go four and three they're still they probably need a win in the big 10 tournament and they're probably in the first four in uh so i'll land on that i think they end in the first four in and i think they win that game and then they lose in the round of 64 uh let's move up the list to iowa who's 17 and seven is scoring 130 points a game right now Uh, I think Iowa gets in and they lose in the first round. DK, Uh,
1: what's the remaining schedule? Do you have that handy? Yes, because I to me, they're not a tournament team right now. That 17 or 18 wins, whatever they have, is all fluff. The top of their schedule was like against 300 plus teams for the first five, they played nobody in the non conference, so um
0: yeah Iowa has two wins against top 75 teams. They're
1: own five in the quad one games they've played right now. I want to say I, I think that they only have one potential quad one game left. so I don't
0: I don't they, know they how have it's they go. have a couple left. They go they're home to Michigan at Ohio State, home to Michigan State at Nebraska, home to North Michigan's
1: not top 30 in the net right now though, right? That's how they do. It's top 30 on the net if you're no but they
0: them. and they, they have at Ohio State at Michigan at Illinois all left on their schedule. So they have, they have quality opportunities, although likely losses, but quality. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think, I think maybe you're right. Maybe they sneak into maybe Indiana's the odd man out. And I know we're going to get to Rutgers. Maybe, I think two of the four bubble teams make it in the conference. I'm apt to say Indiana's for sure out. I don't trust them at all. And then it's going to be maybe between Iowa and Rutgers for me and who ends up getting that last bid for the conference.
0: Cart Iowa. I think it's iffy. They make it in. But if they do first, first game, they're out of there. (laughs) Uh, Okay, jumping to the last bubble team here. Rutgers 15 and nine, uh, nine and five in the conference right now. The most absurd resume of all time. (laughs) I think they're five and one in quad one games and they have losses at home to Lafayette uh, and they lost at Massachusetts. They lost at DePaul. They lost at Minnesota, at Penn State, home to Maryland. They've literally lost all the worst teams on their schedule and beaten all the great teams in the Big Ten, which is nuts. Uh, I Here's my take on Ruggers. I think that they are actually playing really good basketball right now. I, I think their season as a whole makes no sense. But I think right now they're a top six team in the conference. Uh, I think they have a bunch of good games left on their schedule, and they've been great in good games. And I think Geo Baker, Ron Harper, and Paul Mulcahy is a top, Two or three trio in this conference, as crazy as that sounds. So I think they find a way. I think they scratch and claw to get the resume done. Uh, and I actually think they win a game in the NCAA tournament, too. I'll put them into the round of 32. Cart, what do you think? I'm in on that, too. I think that they'll be able to
1: get there, and I think they'll win a game. So a round of 32 for me. DK? They get Illinois at home Wednesday. I believe it is. They have to win that for me. They they got some opportunities at home for big time wins to finish the season that I think this one's a huge swing one. If you can get this under your belt, I think you're feeling a lot better. It's almost like that Michigan Purdue situation where you have that quality, quality top 15 win under your belt. And I think, it's going to be really hard for the selection committee to keep them out. They've been playing well. Like you said, they're a tournament team right now. They just dogged it in the non-conference and put themselves in an awful hole. They already have a top 15 win though. They already beat Purdue.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's going to be a good test for the bracketology folks. Like, how much that, do bad losses really matter here? That
2: is the craziest run. I mean, not the craziest run, but that is, like, a run like no one saw coming if they beat Illinois. Like, pep, the, this, this stretch they've been on is absolutely
1: just Paul McKay, McKay has been unbelievable. I think Amaruye oh. gives them exactly what they were missing, just kind of like a physical presence inside. He's dunking everything.
0: McKay mm-hmm. I mean, leads I'm the conference in assists per game. It's crazy. Like,
1: Paul Mulcahy leads the Big Ten in assists per game. and It's a mismatch problem. He's 6'6". Six, six. He's physical. He just kind of backs guys down from the top of the key. He's been really good.
0: Yeah, I've been telling Cart he's, he's hot-guessing people. That's my verb for what Paul Mulcahy does. Um, all right, the five teams that are for sure going to make the NCAA tournament, let's talk about how far they go quickly. Ohio State, 15-6, and 8-4. and four. I'll kick this off because Cart knows where I stand. I think this team loses in the first round. I think this team is the most fraudulent, quote unquote, good team in the conference this year. I think they are basically Purdue on defense without the offensive versatility that Purdue has. Uh, and I know they're good on offense, but it's entirely EJ Liddell and Malachi Brandon to me. And that's too one-dimensional for a team come March. We saw them get exposed to an Oral Roberts team who, yes, was really good. But like any any team that can score can keep up with Ohio State in March. I think they lose first round.
2: Cart? I think the sting of last year and EJ Liddell and his greatness that he has been this year, they will lose
1: in the sweet 16, but they will make a sweet 16 DK. I lean carts way, sweet 16.
0: I'm, I'm going to have to find a way to make some money off you guys on this one. Cause I'm, I just do not trust this team. Michigan state is next 18 and six overall nine and four in the conference. DK Spartan hoops, expert resident, Spartan leader of the fan base you go first on this one
1: sweet 16 I think they gotta make it you gotta get to the second weekend this year I think it's a win the way that the expectations were coming to the season finish top five top four in the conference make the sweet 16 bring back most of the essential pieces to be able to maybe build upon next year but I think you gotta make a sweet 16 that's where I'm gonna go all right Final Four, I
2: know. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, sweet. I, I feel the same as DK. I think Sweet Sixteen is a must. Like that's it's it's a must that we get there. It's time, you know. I, I'm sick of hearing Greg's Sweet Sixteen stats as well. I'm so, so sick of it.
0: But he, like five or Sweet 16's Final fours, March runs aren't made off of quote unquote. It's a must. Like, I agree with you that for all the dialogue, like it is a must, but like, it's, it's, it's a must that we get to that second weekend and then we'll take it from there, but you gotta, let's get there. It's yeah. a must, but is this team good enough to get there? Is yes. my question? <laughs> like, yes. I, th- yes, I think, I think they, they are like, there, there is a world where this team makes a final four. There is a world where this team is good enough to get hot. They need the right draw, all of that. But do I trust them to, that would require me to trust the staff to play the right guys. And if, if we get to that point by March, I'm in, if we get Malik Hall playing 30 minutes a game, I'm in on this team, uh, until that happens. Like I just have no trust that they can win back to back games in a a two day turnaround with a center who might play 10 minutes or might play 30 with the best player coming off the bench. And with no idea of like, is uh, let's, let's wait and see if Hogarth does this two games in a row, I guess. I love Hogarth and think he should, but still too many questions for me. I'm going to call them around a round of 32 team right now, uh, draw dependent, but we will see. I hope that changes. If Malik Hall gets in the lineup, I probably feel differently about that. Wisconsin third, 19 and five, 10 and four. If you look at efficiency margin metrics, Wisconsin is like the ninth best team in the big 10 this season, but they're tied for second in the loss column, which is ultimately what matters. Uh have you swung negatively on Wisconsin cart, as a lot of people have?
2: Yeah, I think that they they'll make it to the round of 32. Um, I would honestly lean that Wisconsin is gonna be a heavy pick for people to get lose that first game. I think they peaked too early. Um uh yeah, I'm just I'm I'm kind of out. Uh the the shine of them wore off a little bit.
0: Okay.
1: Uh I'm I'm somewhere split on this because I think Johnny Davis is that special and i think that their style of play is never going to let them separate from teams but it's also going to keep them close uh they're old they got brad davison back another year like we didn't think they were very good last year and they blew the shit out of unc so i think that they could make a sweet 16 it depends where they end up on the seed line if they stay a top five seed line i think they make a sweet 16 if they somehow like bottom out towards the end of the season and they're like a six seven anything higher than that um, I think that they'll round to thirty-two for me.
0: I'm in on Wisconsin, and it feels weird to say that. I'm I'm leaving them as a Sweet Sixteen team for now. Uh, I think that Johnny Davis is ultimately this team's offense, and I think Johnny Davis in March, I just trust, will be the best version of Johnny Davis. Uh, I also hate the phrase "peak too early." So by default, when Cart said that, <laughs> I had to move them into the Sweet Sixteen. <laughs> like you play, play. Playing well at any time is a good thing. Like, let's not penalize the team for being really good early. I think they can still find that again later. Right now, like, Wisconsin's problem is Davis hasn't been shooting 50% from the floor and 40% from three.
2: Um, he's looked he's look more like Chase Audige, I believe.
0: That is wildly disrespectful. Uh, I, yeah, I, I buy Wisconsin still figuring it out. Let's go to number two in the conference in Purdue. 22 and four overall, best record overall, 11 and four in the conference. May not win this conference with how dicey they've been. They almost lost to Maryland at home over the weekend. Uh, I've said all year, Purdue's a Final Four team. I don't care what the metrics tell me about their defense. They remind me of 2013 Michigan. And like they're just kind of floating through the regular season. They're going to turn it on when it matters. And they're a top three talented team in the country. Watching that Maryland game changed everything for me. I don't trust this team anymore. I don't trust Matt Painter at all. He literally has Jaden Ivey standing in the corner, not touching the ball for six straight possessions in the final four minutes. Uh, I just think they're doomed. I think Eric Hunter is going to dribble the ball off his foot in a one-possession game with a minute left because he's trying to get a post-entry to Travion Williams, who hasn't scored in 12 minutes while Zachary's on the bench. Too many questions. I'm out. Uh, I'll
1: call them elite because I think they're that talented, but there's no way they make a final four. DK? Yep, that's where I'm at, elite eight. I just You can't trust the defense. They can't string together consistent stops. Their insistence on playing through the post when you have a top five NBA pick, I think that r- that's really hurt him. I really do. I-, I think that in some instances they need to just let him kind of take control of games and spots. And during the you know first 20, 30 minutes they do, but when it comes down to crunch time, the insistence to continue to just pound the ball in the post instead of give it to your NBA player is maddening to me. I think that if they don't make a final four, I'm not sure if Matt Painter does in the next ten years because this is—I think this is a special group, and it will be a waste of talent if you do not get Jane Ivy to a Final Four this year. Cart, Book of Cart 315. Thou shall not take
2: the ball out of my lottery pick's hands at any time. Thou shall not turn my lottery pick into a role player. We don't condone that nonsense. Elite eight. Painter's fumbling the bag for me.
1: Yeah, we're all and on That hurts day. me because I want to. I. I, I want this team to make a final four. I really Painter don't. agendas are going to take a huge hit if they don't make a final four. You have a top five talented team in the country, in my opinion. And the inability to a like get this team to buy in defensively is just mad. Like they have decent enough athletes. I understand there's some deficiencies at the center spot, but like they have some guys that can play defense. Uh, I, I don't know. I've, I've been wholly disappointed with the way that it's been going for them. I don't, I don't understand them. Yeah, this was the
0: 34th best defense in the country last year, and they lost nobody. Like, what? why are they worse defensively? Zach Eady playing more minutes is not that much of a reason to go from 34th to 116th defensively. It's insane. Uh, and, yeah, Painter's looking weird in the light right now. I so said, as far as Painter's go, like, he literally is convincing everyone he's Leonardo da Vinci, but he's just like a little sixth grader playing with finger paint right now. He's a mess. Um, all right, Illinois. It, actually, last thing on Purdue, how funny would it be Sorry, Purdue fans, but like, how funny would it be if this team ends up with zero banners on the season? Like, they are so damn good. They might not win the regular season conference. They might not make a final four. And I don't like, can they win four straight with that defense in Indy in March? They can, they,
2: they can play that number one video on loop. <laughs> and that's all they'll have for the rest of the year. That, that, oh my that might be God. the reason. Why I
1: we that might have be the to moment to the tune of one shining moment when everybody's just like <laughs> calling in or something. We we'll definitely montage that if they don't make if they don't win at one banner like Big Ten tourney title, Big Ten regular season final oh, four. Like you got to have one of those checked off this season.
0: Yeah, have to. All right, Illinois. Last but not least, the the other program that I'm rooting ends up with zero banners. Although I think I'm in a tough spot for that right now. They're 18 and six overall, 11 and three in conference play. I still think they're. This is off the top of my head, but I think they're like 12-1 and when Andre Corbello's not playing and 6-5 and when he is. Um, That may have improved lately because he's been playing. But where does Illinois end their season? The team that has made one sweet 16 since I was in fourth grade.
1: Who are you going to first? Whoever. All right, let's go (laughs) to you first. I'll go go first.
2: I'll I'll go first because I flipped on this. I was final four caliber with illinois but this might be a hot take i think that they do not make a sweet 16 again this year
1: <laughs> wow
2: this is and this is and this is this is this is the thing for me i think that it's going to get to a point where i think they've done a great job right now with playing basketball where they have trent fraser hitting shots plumber hitting shots on the outside And there's still teams around the country who have chosen to play one-on-one against Kofi Coburn, which I think is just an awful decision. You cannot play that man one-on-one. Wisconsin played him one-on-one and you got a 40 ball put on your head. and It was one of the easiest 40 balls of all time. With that said, like when Kofi plays the best centers or better centers in the conference, he struggles. He really does. So God forbid they match up with a center who can maybe not, I mean, he's not going to stop Kofi, but you make Kofi go like eight for 18, eight for 19 when he's shooting five feet from the basket. I think there's a way to beat this team. I don't think Brad Underwood is going to completely take the ball out of Andre Corbello's hands. I honestly think he's going to start integrating him more and giving the ball more. And it's, I don't know. I just, I got a funny feeling that this team loses that second game in the tournament, loses in the round of 32. I don't, it's, the stats might not back it up, but just call it my
0: own intuition. I love your intuition. DK?
1: I think that when they get out of conference, they're going to feel a little bit better about themselves. I know the non-conference didn't go great for them this season, but I think it was a result of the Coburn being out for a period of time and Curbelo, the flow of players. I think Elite Eight for me, um you surround it with like three 40 percent shooters against one of the more physically dominating players in the entire country I think that anything short of a sweet 16 for them would be an embarrassment I think that they'll make an elite eight and they'll run up into a team that has equally or better front court players like cart said and and they end up stumbling but I think that elite eight is the kind of the ceiling for this team
0: so I'm I'm gonna side with cart I think this team loses round of 32 at best, as crazy as that sounds. I think this team could lose in the first round, depending on what seed they get. If they work their way up to the two line, doubt it. But like if they're three, maybe even a four, if they struggle down the stretch here, like could they lose to a good 13 seed? I think they could. I don't trust this team's mental makeup at all. I just watched them uh, up 16 points against Northwestern. And then like Chase Odige made a floater, and then they all just like held their breath for 15 minutes after that. Alfonso Plummer took a transition three with a minute and 45 seconds left in the game, up five with 30 seconds on the shot clock. I don't trust these guys at all. And that's not this is individual specific to this team, let alone the 20 years of tournament history that is going to weigh on this team's shoulders. Um, also like look at their schedule. I know we talked about the non-conference TK, but like their best win is at Iowa. Other than that, like a home game against Michigan state, that's it. Like their best non-conference win was a neutral site game against Kansas state. Like this team has not beaten great teams. They lost twice to Purdue. They've got another against Michigan state on the road coming up. They've got at Rutgers. They've got at Michigan, like home to Ohio state and home to, I- we're going to see who this Illinois team really is down the final three weeks of the season. And my suspicion is that they're going to look a little funny at the end of those three weeks is all I'm going to say. Um, so, so who
1: wins the conference? Because we just shit on basically every team in the conference and said we don't think they're as good to like, we talked about. It's going to be a four-way
2: tie. Or
0: so <laughs> I, I think it's going to be a tie, some collection of that just hodgepodge of five teams with four losses oh, right now. Oh, in
1: Illinois. How many how many I losses total for the league. win in the conference then?
0: Six. I think it falls to six. I mean, I, I'll say this. If a team ends with five losses, they win the conference. Maybe outright. Maybe outright. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah That's probably fair. But, yeah, come March, man. Like, I got zero Final Four teams and two Sweet 16 teams in
1: this group. I think this is going to be another stinky March. I think when you look across the board, though, who do you feel confident about? like in a lot of these conferences, like the big East, do you feel very comfortable saying they have got multiple teams? They're going to make it past the sweet 16. No, I don't know. Like the big 12 is pretty strong. The sec is pretty strong. I literally literally
2: probably only have one team in the country that I feel absolutely confident is going to make a final four. And that's Gonzaga.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, sec the top i feel really good about big 12 even like uh, i know there's questions with kansas but like between them and baylor and texas tech like i like those three maybe better than i like purdue for march um but yeah other than that like it's a wide open year which should be good for the big 10 if it's not good for the big 10 we're gonna have some takes uh, after the season boys it's a work day, and I've held you for over an hour, so I appreciate you both for that. DK, give the Spartan Hoops plug, please, to the people.
1: Yep, I appreciate it, my friend. Spartanhoops.com. You can find me at uh, Spartan Hoops underscore DK on Twitter. Got all the best content for your MSU basketball-related needs.
0: Cart, final words? You can
2: find me at Carter Elliott underscore underscore that's two underscores because the one (laughs) underscore was taken don't come at me uh dk always appreciate you coming on talking michigan state hoops you know got the end of the year coming up got some games coming up you know a little We'll see once again where we're at. If we decide to have yeah. this talk a week from now, it could be a whole different type of tone. On I know we'll podcast. do a pulse check. The yeah, mental and
1: emotional roller coaster of Carter it, Elliott. The I've absolute. Just been listening along to the podcast, the highest of highs, the lowest of lows.
2: That's, that's, that's pretty much what it is. That's what you get. Sign, that's I, what Greg signed up for when he decided to do this with me.
0: Can I offer a quick proposal for the stretch run of the season? For every loss Michigan State has, you have to add an underscore to your Twitter handle. And if Michigan State wins the big <laughs> wins the Big Ten or ties for winning the Big Ten, I'll never make fun of it again. Okay. Deal. Deal?
2: Actually, no, because then what if people are trying to find me on Twitter or do something? There's gonna be like where's, where's Carter at? Like oh he added, oh, he you added can, an underscore.
0: You can come up with a different punishment, maybe. Like I'll add underscores or something if they win it. But I, right, I, I would right, we'll, like we'll, to propose that. We'll work something out. Okay. Thank you, boys. Uh, enjoy the rest of your